Why don't we take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. And if you have a device, feel free to do that as well. And I'd just like to read a song to you from Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 67 through 68. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the children, the child, the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. When we hear the scriptures read, God has spoke to us. God speaks to us through his word. So Lord, we thank you that we have this preserved for us. I pray now that you would speak to us today through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1865, and a man by the name of Philip Brooks had an opportunity to fulfill a lifelong dream. He was a leader in, in the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the circumstances had lined up for him to go to the Holy Land on Christmas Eve. And he had arranged a tour in which he would ride horseback and retrace the steps that Mary and Joseph had on the night that our Lord was born. Now, Philip Brooks had a heart for the children back in that church there in Philadelphia, and he was inspired a bit, and so he took out a piece of paper and began to write out some, some poetry. When he got back to Philadelphia, he, he had a man within his church that was a very skilled organist by the name of Louis Redner. He said, Louis, I, I wrote this poem when I was out there. I think he could put some music to it. And Redner was a wealthy real estate broker, and he says, let me see what I can do. And he put it to the tune of St. Louis. Maybe you've heard of this song. It goes like this. Old little town of Bethlehem, 
how still we see thee lie. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What I'd like to do on these Sundays approaching Christmas is to take a a brief little series that I'm calling Christmas Songs. Now, we're not going to be doing a study of Silent Night or, or Joy to the World or even it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Rather, we're going to take a look at the songs that are written here in the Christmas story for our, our help, our benefit. And so we read one just now. This is a Christmas song that's preserved in the first chapter of Luke, and it's Zachariah's song, the father of John the Baptist. Now, before we can really grasp, I think, the, the power of this, I think there'd be a lot of benefit for us to understand the story behind the song. So to do that, let's go back a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, and let's read what led up to this song being written. If you're familiar with the Gospel writer Luke, he is wanting to provide an orderly account of the events of Jesus. And So let's pick up how he starts that orderly account by looking at verse 5. I think what I'll do here is I'll just kind of read a few verses, explain them, read a few more verses, explain them. And I'm going to give you a little heads up that I'm going to, I'm going to violate a rule of preaching. I'm going to do a really long introduction, and then we're going to get to that song, okay? So mix things up a little bit for you. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Luke makes it really clear. It's important for us, the reader, to understand when this was written, when Zechariah was on the scene. And it was King Herod, Herod the Great. We could look in history and say this is either 6 B.C. or 7 B.C. Herod the Great was known for the temple, Herod's temple, yes, but he was also known for being oppressive. He was paranoid and he was ruthless. In fact, he had had ten wives and he actually killed the one that he loved the most because he thought maybe she had committed adultery. He had also killed his uncle, mother-in-law, and three of his sons. One of his peers was a man by the name of Caesar Augustus. And he said of King Herod, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. It would have been safer to be his pig rather than to be his son. And so this is when Zechariah, the man who will write this song, lives. And it says here in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. In my study this week, I discovered that Zechariah was not the high priest. He was just an ordinary priest. It says here, a priest. And there may have been as many as eighteen to 20,000 of these priests. And we could scan a little bit further here in Luke chapter 1, and we would find out that he was a part of the hill country, meaning he was probably an equivalent for us to a country preacher. He would never have been asked to preach at the Palestinian 
a pastor's conference. It would have been, you've never seen his face in that poster, but he was faithful. In fact, he was married here, you see, it says, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. From the daughters of Aaron, it just implies here that Elizabeth grew up as a PK, a priest kid, right? And, and, and if you're going in the ministry, I, I'm speaking now of personal experience, what you want to find is a young lady that is acquainted with the ministry. And she knows what long nights are, and she knows what, what highs and lows of ministry are. And that's precisely what Zechariah had in Elizabeth. Now, there was one stain that they bore. You see it here in verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I'll, I'll back up to that in a moment. It says here in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, if you've had time to read through the scriptures, you'll see that this is a pattern that occasionally happens, is that God takes someone that is barren, that have not been able to have children. And, and we see that even today, don't we? And, and what we could do is say there's clearly some sort of dark secret that none of us know, but only God knows, and that's why they haven't been able to bear a child. But we'll see that there's no truth to that here in their story. In fact, it says here in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God. Now that's significant because in this first century, many people thought that they were righteous, but it was a self-righteousness. And that Luke says that they were righteous before God. They had understood the commands of God, the law of God, that they could not keep those. And like the father of faith, Abraham, placed his faith in God to save them from their sins, so had Zechariah and Elizabeth. And there was fruit there. It says there in verse 6, they walked blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. I think it was Calvin that said, Christ justifies no man without sanctifying him. And so there was fruit. This was a faithful pastor's wife, pastor there in a country church. Just doing their thing. It says here in verse 8, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. I don't know about you if you're much of a dreamer, but I suspect when you were young you did. What was it that you would say would be the ultimate of your life. As a boy, that was easy for me. I loved baseball. So I would sit out or stand out in the backyard with, a, with an old baseball bat uh, in, a, in a ball, and, and I would dream of being in the World Series down four to one, bases loaded, three balls and two strikes, and I'm up the bat, and I hit a grand slam. That, that was the moment, right? Or maybe it was football for you, and now it's one minute and 17 seconds to go and your team is down six and you're at the five-yard line and you got to drive 95 yards to, to score the game-winning touchdown. And, and that is the ultimate memory that you've had. 
Or maybe it's in singing. In, in Madison Square Garden or being on America's Got Talent and just nailing it. Or maybe it's on the silver screen or, or somewhere in the theater. I suspect what Zacharias was as a faithful country preacher was that of being able to go to the temple and be in the Holy of Holies. And in God's providence, he orchestrated those events for him. There was a, a, a lots that were cast, and of these eighteen to 20,000 common priests, Zechariah's name was drawn. And can you imagine with me, from the hill country, this little country preacher with his wife, taking his bag and saying, I'm, I'm going to be back. And can you see the people within the parish there that would say, that's our priest. He is going and he is not only representing his wife, but he is representing us as well. And, and can you see his wife saying, you be sure to tell me all about it when you get back. So he goes and he travels to where the temple was. And so let's read a little bit about that. It says there in verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at that hour of incense. So here's the procedure, okay? Zechariah would have a week-long assignment. And this would be the honor that he would have. He would be able to go into the temple where the Holy of Holies was, and there would be those that would take the ashes that were from a burnt sacrifice and would put it there on the altar... And then these two attendants would leave. And then there would be Zechariah, who was given the honor of burning incense. And then smoke would ascend outside of the temple. And as we just read, there would be a, a throng of people that would gather throughout the times of the day. And they would raise their hands and they would pray for God to intercede for their life. And when they saw that smoke ascend, that was proof to them that God had heard their prayer. And then the priest would come out and he would offer a benediction. He would offer a word of blessing. All that information is going to come in handy in a moment. Because as he goes in, on verse 11, imagine now, it's not very often that you can wake up and say, this is the most important day of my life. It's not very often you can say, this moment right now, me going in the Holy of Holies, this is the most important moment of my life. And that's precisely what we have here in verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And it would be easy for us to read through that without keeping in mind that there's 400 years of silence here. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has not sent a prophet. He has not spoken to his people. So now we have an angel. Verse 12 says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. By the way, we're going to see this pattern in Mary, as well as the shepherds. When the, when the angel shows up, they get afraid. So let's cut Zechariah some slack here. Verse 13 says, But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. It would be wonderful to enter into a little conversation, a discussion here this morning. What do you think that prayer was? What prayer is he referring to that was answered? I suspect there would be two different answers that would be provided here. 
One, well, clearly, we just read that his wife was barren and they've never had a child. That must have been what they were praying for. Possible. But I would also suspect that he was also praying for the Savior to come. For the Savior to be born that would save the people from their sins. And what we're going to find in the angel's discourse here is an answer to both. It says here in verse 14, rather verse 13, And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. I think at this point it would be a benefit just to point out what these names mean. Zechariah, the name Zechariah means the Lord keeps his promise. The word Elizabeth means oath of God. And the word John means God is gracious. So here you have the man whose name means keeps his promise, God keeps his promise. You have the wife whose name means his oath. And you have the son whose name God is gracious. And so imagine you are Zechariah. And this is the greatest moment of your life, just being in the Holy of Holies. And now that's been ratcheted up significantly because you're not only there, but there is an angel that is interrupting 400 years of silence and he's actually talking to you. We'll talk about an overflow. So he's like, okay, well, well, what else you got for me here? And so we read, it says here in verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and As I've thought about that verse this week, it just reminds me of what the Bible says about children and how we celebrate children. Not only when they're five, but when they're 55, we ought to celebrate them. Verse 15, there's a second thing. For he will be great before the Lord. Now, I don't think we can move on from that phrase really quickly. We understand what it means for God to be great. He is the one who has made the heavens and the earth. He has put the stars in the sky and and the sun and the moon as well. He is great in all the massive things, but also the small things. What in the world would it take for God to say of a mere man that he was great? So when we consider this baby that would be born, when we consider the character of John the Baptist, We can think of a few things that happened in his life where where John the Baptist would say, people would come to him and say, who are you? He said, I'm not Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he'd say, I'm not. Are you a prophet? He'd say, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What, What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Jesus would affirm these words that the angel is saying here when he would say in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. What was it about this baby that this angel would say that God would say of him that he was great? It was his humility. 
that he understood why he was there. He must increase and I must decrease. Now that's, a, that's an entire message in and of itself. But it says in the next part of verse 15, and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now verse 16 says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will come and he will proclaim this message. It's an important message that our hearts are are away from God and he's going to preach a message of repentance, identifying their sins, that their hearts would turn towards God. He would preach the gospel. And then it says in verse 17, um, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. And you'll note the order. As the gospel is being proclaimed and then received, the effect of that is the father's hearts are now turning towards their families. And we would be wise to not get that order messed up. As a church, we want to have strong families, but the way we do that is by proclaiming the gospel. And as God turns our hearts towards God, then our hearts are able to be turned towards the order that he has designed for us. I mean, you look around and there's a, the false church of the Latter-day Saints that, that will promote healthy families. Islam will, will promote healthy families. But it is only through a heart that is turned towards God that we can have what he designs. So verse 18, uh, it's Zechariah's time to speak, and he says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I don't know if you've ever known this, but I think it's true that when we get a little bit older, we tend to tell people that we're older. Well, just kind of an old man right now. Or or back in my younger years, I would do this. And so as this angel, Gabriel, is coming to him, and he's, he's just unloading on him this one item of great news after another, Zechariah, the one who's a faithful priest, says, how can this be? What sort of a sign would you give to me? Because I am an old man. So then Gabriel says in verse 19, and the angel answered him, well, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. This is who you are, Zechariah? You're an old man? Well, let me tell you who I am. I'm Gabriel. There's only two times in all the scriptures where you have angels identify themselves. There's, there's Michael and there's Gabriel. So this was not just an ordinary angel. This is a prominent angel. And he has come from the very presence of God. Okay, you've introduced yourself. Let me introduce myself. And you want a sign? I'll give you a sign, verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now chapter 1, verse 62, seems to imply that he he could not only speak, but he was also deaf. So he gets this sign. Now think with me through this. He might have been faithful, but he was also flawed. 
And I want you to make, make it very clear to you that Zechariah is not the hero of this story, is he? he he's, like, he's like Peter in Acts chapter 12 when he was sent to jail. And, and they were all praying for him. And, and he is released and he goes to where the Christians are. And, and, and they're surprised that God has answered their prayer. And I, I'm kind of grateful to see stuff like that in the Scriptures because I see myself like that in, in Zechariah. And so I want to take you back outside there. It says in verse 21, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And so there is this great throng of people out there, and they're praying. And if they're praying with their arms lifted high, they're kind of just waiting for him to come out and offer a blessing so they can go back to their home and go on with their lives. But he is nowhere to be found. I suspect they're kind of looking around as if to say, where is that guy? And you know the tradition that when a priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would wear a a garment with bells. They would tie a rope around his waist because of a fear of God that if he went in in an irreverent way, God could potentially strike him dead. And so they might have thought to themselves, if something happened to him, Now, if I'm there, I suspect that I would be kind of leading the charge to say, we need to at least knock on the door and find out if we can hear any bells or anything. Then, maybe even pull on the rope a little bit. And I could sense him kind of pulling it back and say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'll be right out, I'll be right out. And he comes out, and all they want is is a quick blessing. And he opens his mouth and says, And it says here of this, he, 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he had kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his house. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me and take away my reproach among people. These are one of those instances in the Scriptures where I wish there were more details. Like, come on. I mean, coming home, shutting the door, and there is Elizabeth cleaning up stuff in the kitchen with her apron on. Is that you, honey? I've been waiting for you to fill me in. And so she comes out with her hands dried off with a, with a pot of coffee and two coffee cups. She sets them down beside him and, and begins to do what my wife would do, a thorough cross-examination of my, you know, my previous experience and wanting to know every detail. And as she pours the cup of coffee and, and waiting to, to, to have this unpacked for, for her, he opens his mouth and says, And if he truly was deaf, what would it have been like when a few weeks later she would have come home and says, you know, uh, there's something we need to talk about. You know I've had an upset stomach the last several mornings and, and I just did go to the doctor. Um, yeah, you need to sit down. We need to talk. And how she would announce that she was pregnant. 
And, and, and it says there that her reproach was lifted. Can you think of the joy? We, we get excited in our church when a young lady gets pregnant. What would that have been like for the pastor's wife in advanced years? Well, you get a sense of it right here. And I skip ahead to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his fathers, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. In verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet. Now, of course, that's not an iPad or a Kindle there. That's, that's something wooden that he would have written with. His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke. What's the first things that come out of his mouth? Blessing God. Then fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so then we get to our song. So let me just break this song down for you a little bit. I won't quite spend as much time as I have in giving you the story behind the song. But let me give you a few things. Number one, Zechariah's song was written from an overflow of God's blessing. When you think of Zechariah's song, I want you to think about a teacup and a saucer. I want you to think of a teacup that is the recipient of warm tea that is poured into it to a point of overflowing onto the saucer. And that is Zechariah's life. That God's blessing has poured into him to a point where it has overflowed onto the saucer, and that saucer is Zechariah's song. And that's really my prayer for you. Do, do you know that overflowing blessing of God? And I'm not speaking of some sort of a mystical experience. I think I'm, I'm speaking of having your sins forgiven, being made in a right relationship with God, and, and just reading the Scriptures, confessing sin, asking for the grace of God to be applied to your life, and, and getting in the will of God so He can bless you. Is that your experience? And when it is, you overflow and you bless others. Has anyone experienced that? Is anyone experiencing that? That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our church and we see here in Ephesians 5, 9, one of the expressions of overflow is singing. In Ephesians 5, 19, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I could read in your outline, there's Psalm 5, there's Psalm 13, 30, and Psalm 92. You see all of those that would point you to singing in a response to having the blessing of God in your life. 
I would say a second thing that I think we see in this song is it celebrates a new chapter in the stories of the Scriptures. It celebrates a new chapter in the stories of the Scripture. There's a few young men, well, they're at least young to me, and we've been meeting together, and we're just working through uh, some material together. And what I really appreciate about this current unit we're on is that it helps us to see that the Bible is one story. It's not 66 separate stories, it's one story. And so the story begins in creation where God, in His goodness, created this magnificent world that has a design. The second chapter has to do with the fall, of how despite being made in the image of God, created to worship God, man disobeyed God. And that introduced strife, it introduced conflict and abuse and cancer and the coronavirus and and everything else. The third chapter in that story is people, where God would raise up people like Abraham, and from him would, would come a nation, and from that nation would be a Savior that would be born for his people, namely Jesus. And from that people would be King David, who would be a man after God's own heart. And from his lineage would be this Savior that would be born, who is Jesus. And then the fourth chapter is the Savior is born. So what Zechariah is celebrating in this song is that the next chapter has opened. And now the Savior will soon be on the scene. By the way, there's a, there's a fifth chapter, and that's a church. Those of us who have received this message and are living in this message proclaim this message. And there's a sixth chapter that speaks about resolution where one day Jesus will come back and everything that's wrong will be made right. So there is this. And so when we see in this passage, I think there's three different verses here in this song. Verses 67, all the way down to uh, rather 68 to 71, I think we could just call a verse called David's Covenant. There was a promise made to David. Verses 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed this people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So what Zechariah is celebrating is that God is making good on this promise to David. There one day would be a descendant of his that would be the Savior. And you could read there in your outline, I've provided some verses that, that point to Mary, the mother of Jesus, being a descendant of David. There's a second verse, I think, that we see in this song, and that's Abraham's covenant. We see here, beginning in verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to our remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, be being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We see that God made this covenant with Abraham, that he would be a people. And from that nation of people, the Savior would come. Then the remaining verses of this song in 76 through 79 speak of a new covenant. It is here where Zechariah understands the purpose of his son. And you, child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And he would go preaching a message of repentance, preparing the groundwork for the Savior that would come. So when he would go, he would point his finger and and identify sin in people's lives. So when Jesus began his ministry, he could point out to Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the people wouldn't say, What sins are you talking about, John the Baptist? That would have been made perfectly clear through his preaching and having beat up the self-righteousness of their hearts. They were now prepared to receive the Savior that would save them from their sins. Before we leave here, let me just offer a few reflections on this story. These are your kind of takeaways from this passage of Scripture. The first thing I think about is singing in the darkness. Singing in the darkness. I don't know what your last several weeks have been like, but do you not find it ironic that Zechariah, and for that matter, the, the birth of Jesus takes place when King Herod is ruling. A tyrant, a, a, a king that was ruthless. And it is during this gloomy, dark time that this song is written. Do you know that in your darkness, maybe you've experienced some discouragement, that God still gives you a song as well to sing. Uh, just this past Friday, our family was gathered um, at Jim and Vanna's house. Um, Vanna's sister, Velda, who has come here frequently, passed away, and, and we were viewing a funeral service, and then we had a meal afterwards, and Vanna kind of led us to say, what is, a, what is a memory that you recall about Velda? And so we all went around the table, and this godly woman, we were able to just share one story after another. And then when it was Vanna's turn, she said, I can remember a time when we were on vacation. And, and we had gone upstairs to our room, but because of the steps, Velda said, it's probably more comfortable for me to stay here on this couch. And in the middle of the night, Vanna could hear some singing taking place from the lower level. She got out of her bedroom and she looked down and she could hear her sister, her older sister, just singing songs, hymns. And she would go down to her and say, what's leading you to sing right now? And she said, sometimes I have such pain in my body that the only thing that works is to just remember to sing these truths. Singing in the darkness. So you might experience some darkness right now, but that doesn't keep you from singing. I'll give you a second thought, and that is ordinary, but not overlooked. I was reading about some other Christmas songs this past week, and you probably know the song Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire by Mel Torme. You know how long that took him to write? 45 minutes. Do you know how long it would have taken Zachariah to write this song? His whole life. His whole life. Years of faithfulness. Of just doing what God wanted him to do. You know, I don't want to burst your bubble today, but I know our culture will say to us, you are special. 
And we tell our children that from the, from the moment they are born all the way up until they graduate. You are special. But the truth is, I'm just being honest with you, we're all pretty ordinary. And I, including myself. But what I appreciate about this story is here you have a couple that were just grinding it out on the rolling hills of the Palestine countryside. And God just decided to use them. I see couples like Zachariah and Elizabeth within our church. And it is a blessing to serve alongside you. And you are not overlooked. Continue to be faithful. I see a third thing here, and I kind of hit on that, and that's greatness in humility. What was it that distinguished John the Baptist from everyone else? It was at prayer, wasn't it? He must increase, and I must decrease. And John lived that out. And that's our challenge for us as well. God, what is it you want of me? And then I'll give you a last one. And that is, I'm just calling a story without an end. I think what was so significant to Zechariah, a part of the overflow that led to this song, is he realized that he got to be a part of this story, this unfolding story that began in creation. And he was really excited to say, God is including me in this. And do you know what? That story is still unfolding today. And it's not too late for you to be a part of that story as well. Zechariah would come and preach a message of repentance We still need that message today. That when we line up our life against God's commands, we all fall short. But he was preparing the way for a Savior that would come and take our place on the cross and three days later be raised to life. And you can be a part of that story. Many of you have been a part of that story for a long, long time. And I want to encourage you to involve others into that story by sharing it with others throughout this season and also bringing others along in areas of discipleship as well. Let us praise the Lord that this story has not ended and there's still time for us to be a part of it. Let's have a word of prayer together as Vana and Scott come. Lord, I thank you that we can look at this passage and see this is just one passage in a prevailing story that we see in the Scriptures of an invitation to come and say, I I want to have my sins forgiven. I've been created to worship, not just Sunday morning, but I want to worship Sunday morning, Tuesday night, all the days of my life. I want to live for you. I want this overflow in my life. Maybe there would be those here today that say, it's been a while since I've had that. And God, search my heart that I might have that.
Lord, I pray that you would use this time as just we just reflect on this message, on this song. Help us to be a part of the singing it, celebrating it. But if there are those who have not yet, we pray that they would. In Jesus' name, amen.